Welcome to the Pursuing Life Podcast. I'm your host, Monica Kirsch. Every week, I'll be sitting down with people from the Calvary Church family to hear stories of what God is doing in, around, and through them as they take intentional steps to pursue life in Jesus Christ. We believe that storytelling is powerful. God has made himself known to us through the stories of the Bible. Jesus told parables or small stories to teach kingdom lessons to his followers. And God continues to write stories of his goodness and faithfulness through the lives and experiences of his church, ordinary people just like you and me. Work. We all do it. Whether it's to make a living, earn a diploma, or just simply to keep our yards looking presentable, there are tasks that we do day in and day out to tend to the world around us. Quite literally, to work is to exert effort directed to produce or accomplish something. But how should we approach work as followers of Jesus Christ? In Genesis 2, we read that God put man in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. But what does that mean? Throughout the Old Testament, including Genesis 2, the Hebrew word used for work is avad, and it can actually be translated in several ways. Yes, in a traditional sense, to work is to labor. However, this word can also be translated to mean to serve or to worship. It's a word that's used to describe the tilling of a field or the tending of a garden, but it's also used to describe those who minister to a king or those who are compelled to worship. Many of these terms are actually used interchangeably across different Bible translations because in the Hebrew language, they are so synonymous with one another that they can be hard to differentiate between when translating to English. As followers of Jesus, our work shouldn't just be a means for survival. It should be synonymous with the ways that we worship and serve God. If we could create our own English word for avad, we might call it workship. In this series, we'll hear stories from individuals who are actively viewing their work as a means of serving God and advancing his kingdom. We all have a job to do. Whether we're clocking in every morning or raising up little ones in our home, God calls us to do that job as service unto him. When we view our work as worship, we're ultimately redirecting the glory back to him and hopefully, in turn, inspiring others to do the same. Today, I'm joined by Joel Sims, who is sharing how God has been at work through his role as an architect and more recently as a property owner. After many years in his field, Joel started praying for ways to be used in more impactful ways for the gospel. In the years that followed, God began to answer that prayer in ways that only he could, which is the story that Joel is here to share with us today. This is not just a conversation about work. It's a conversation about discipleship and stewardship and what it means to trust God with our lives and our resources in all of the different seasons of life. I think you're really going to be encouraged by Joel's story, so let's jump right in. Thanks so much for being here, Joel. Welcome to Pursuing Life. Thanks. Good to be here. To start off, would you take a little bit of time to introduce yourself and also explain a little bit of your backstory? Sure. Uh, Joel Sims moved to Lancaster in 2000. Okay. Um, so all of our kids were raised here and grew up in Calvary Church, Sarah, Andy, Luke, and Skyler. It's funny, most people know three out of four of our kids, different ones, but uh, it's funny, not a, not a lot of people know we have four kids. So. Yeah. And um, I grew up 
thinking that my life was very normal mm -hmm. because everybody around me had the same life. Everybody's uh, father was in the military. There weren't too many women at that time that were in the military. It's mainly fathers. And so I thought everybody's dad was in the military and everybody moved around quite a bit. And that was very normal to me. And it was not until college when I went to Clemson University that I realized I met people who didn't move around the, their whole life and whose dads and moms had other occupations besides uh, being in the military. Right. It's a bit of a shock. Yeah, I bet. How many times did you move as a kid? Well, there were the different locations, and then there were the uh, different houses within the different towns. Okay. I would say basically it was born in Georgia, California, Maryland, Taiwan, Hong Kong, South Carolina, Virginia, Colorado, Texas, back to Virginia, and then I got married, and we lived in New York State and Pennsylvania. And then within those, there were places we moved uh, to different houses while we we're in the same town so okay wow that's a lot of moves it's normal yeah Actually, that was it's your very norm normal. it's very normal everybody does that yes yeah. yeah. so, <laughs> right in so your fun. mind yes that's right <laughs> yes so when you went to Clemson why did you go there what did you study and can you talk a little bit about your profession now and how long you've been in that field Sure. I, I remember it almost like it was yesterday, uh, about a five minute conversation with my dad as we were standing in the living room of um, the on base housing we lived at in Fort Hood, Texas. He said, what do you want to do? Because it was assumed that we were going to go to college. Mm -hmm. That was that was sort of how we were raised. And I said, well, I want to do graphic design because I love drawing. I loved entering art contests. I was on the yearbook staff, designed the yearbook cover. Wow. So my dad said, well, that's that's great, but there's a lot of starving artists in the world, so what else? Mm. Basically, that's not an option. Yeah. And I said, well, I'd also mowed lawns. We called it cut grass in Texas. So I said, well, the only thing I could think of that was artistic and had to do with cutting grass was landscape architecture. Sure. And I didn't really know what a landscape architect did. Right. But my dad said, well, that's good. He said, why don't you study architecture? Because if you're an architect, you can always learn what a landscape architect does, do that or hire them. But if you're an architect, you're the boss. Mm -hmm. And he knew I liked being the boss. It was just natural. My older brother um, worked for me, not because I said, hey, come work for me. He just didn't want to be the boss. He wanted <laughs> okay. me to be the boss. He wanted me to tell people how much it costs to cut the grass. And I would say, John, it's the same price. Like we just charge the same price. <laughs> well, you tell them, Joel. <laughs> so I was the boss. So I'm like, okay, I guess I'll study architecture. Yeah. And my dad's very shrewd. I mean, he'll be 89 soon. He's still very shrewd, very intelligent. Wow. And he said to me, you can go anywhere in the country you want to go to college. But if you go to school in South Carolina, I pay in state tuition. Mm. And you get to go to your grandparents' house for home-cooked meals. Because when you're in the Army, if you live in a state and then you join the Army, that's your state of residency. Sure. If you move to another state, then you can declare that state as residency. So my dad ended up paying for my college and paying in state. And he probably knew this, but after an exhaustive research, I figured out there's only one college in South Carolina that offers architecture, and that's Clemson. Really? So, and I didn't... Back then, we didn't do college visits. Uh, I just, first time I saw Clemson was the day I showed up wow. my freshman year. And that was that was it. So fortunately, I really liked architecture and I liked <laughs> yeah. Clemson. And uh, I think, you know, 
kids should listen to their parents more. They have a lot more wisdom than, than I did at 18. Yeah, absolutely. So when you graduated college with your degree in architecture, where did you go from there? Well, there was a church in Clemson that I really liked being involved in. And really at that point thought my focus should be on serving God more than just an occupation. So I decided much to my parents, uh, they were very good about not communicating their thoughts. But I look back now as a parent and think, I'm pretty sure I know what my mom and dad were thinking. Yeah. I said to them, I'm going to stay in the town of Clemson. I want to be involved in this church. And my friend has a screen printing business and I'm going to print t-shirts. Okay. And they were like, well, you have a degree in architecture. I said, I know, but I'm going to print t-shirts. <laughs> so I made minimum wage. I lived with four other guys in our church. One of the guys was buying a house from his dad. And I remember I was paid a lot of money. I had $55 a month I paid in rent. Wow. Because it was split five ways. So that was my share. <laughs> and I had a bicycle and I'd ride my bike to work. So. Wow. So at what point did you end up back in architecture then? Well, I met this beautiful young woman at church and fell in love with her and somehow concluded that I probably could not support a family on minimum wage. So I went to my boss and said, hey, I'd like you to double my hourly rate. And he said, well, I think eventually you can get there because I was doing sales and designing t-shirts and printing. But he said, uh, I can't do that right away. He was a very nice guy. I said, well, then I only have one choice. I need to quit. Mm. So I quit my job, which is just stellar decision-making on my part, because <laughs> I think I had actually either was about to get engaged or was engaged. So there I was, no, no job. But uh, my wife now, that was my girlfriend back then, told her parents, and they were not worried. They said, well, he has a degree, you know, mm -hmm. so he can get a job. Mm -hmm. So we then moved from Clemson, South Carolina, got married, came back a day early from our honeymoon to move to New York State to be involved with the home church. We were starting with another couple of couples. And we end up in Ithaca, New York, and I figured out I've got to go get a job in architecture now because I need to make a living. Yeah. And so I did. And that's sort of when my career started okay. in architecture a couple of years after graduation. Wow. So how long were you in New York? And then at what point did you move to Lancaster? So we were in New York State, Ithaca, New York for seven to eight years. We kind of have a trend. You'll see a trend going here. Okay. And then in architecture, a lot of people don't realize it's tied to the construction industry. When the economy goes down, people stop building. If they stop building, they stop designing. Right. So I looked all over uh, the country and ended up in uh, just outside of Wilkesbury, Pennsylvania. Okay. And we were there for about seven to eight years. Okay. And then it was in the year 2000 where you could go anywhere you wanted to go and mm -hmm. people were glad to hire you. Mm. And we went all over. I was looking at maybe going down to South Carolina, North Carolina, and talked to a headhunter and they said, well, pick some place. And I said, well, we've always visited Lancaster, Pennsylvania. I've always liked that. Yeah. So they ended up contacting some firms here. Long story short, I got hired and took a job in 2000 in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. And my wife said, oh, this will be our your career. You'll be here forever. This is great. It's a great job, great career. And three years later, I was laid off because there was a downturn in the economy. Wow. And um, 
It was an interesting time. I bet. The kids say that they still remember we gathered all four kids around the table and we cut their allowances. They Mm. were no longer getting allowances. Our son Luke reminds us that years later, as I had my own business, it was doing better. We had never reinstated the allowances. (laughs) Just an oversight on on our part. You'll never live that one down, (laughs) I'm sure. (laughs) No. Uh, So, yeah, and I prayed about what to do. It was 2003 and decided to go out and start my own business. Okay. It's hard to believe it's been 19 years. It seems like just yesterday. Yeah, that's crazy. What is your main focus, or maybe you don't have one, but is there a main focus with your business as far as what kind of architecture you do? Is it homes? Is it commercial? Is it all of the above? Uh, Good question. I started out when I got the job in Ithaca, New York. I worked for a firm that did K-12 school design. Oh, cool. And that's all they did. So I did that for about eight years. When I moved to Wilkes-Barre, they said, we don't really do K-12 school design. I said, that's great. I'm ready for a change. And then the CEO said, hey, you're going to an interview for a school project. (laughs) And I said, well, that's great. Let me know what I can do to help out with the interview. He said, no, you let us know. You're the expert. So found out I was quite good at interviewing. And I think after seven or eight years, over half of the work we were doing at the firm was K-12 school design. Wow. Um, And they were, I think, rightfully impressed. They eventually made me a partner in the firm. Wow. Uh, It was a great job, but um, we really wanted to be in a place where we could raise our kids and be involved in a good church. And Lancaster sort of the Bible belt of the North. And uh, so we moved here and yeah, it's been great. Yeah. So do you still do school design now? I did for a little while when I started. Uh, it's great in some ways, but dealing with the politics and school board members, I must say, if you have not been to a board meeting, or I think at sort of the end of my time, I was two or three board meetings a week. Wow. Um, and it's a lot of politics. So then when I started my own firm, just sort of took on doing whatever. Okay. Uh, some of our favorite projects, Calvary Church, Lobby renovation, followed by Calvary Church uh, Fellowship Hall renovation. Mm -hmm. I started jokingly say we focus on projects. Uh, Our main focus is working with nice people, but it's actually just become that's what we do. If it's somebody that wants a literally a doghouse design in their backyard and they're a nice person and they want to spend the money, sure, uh, we'll do that. So we've done a lot of apartments, restaurants. Those are probably some of our favorites we're doing. Cool. So So you get a variety of different projects. Yes. Which I'm sure keeps you on your toes. Yes, it does. Yeah, that's cool. What's kept you engaged with architecture over the years? Oh, that's a good question. I think it started out a need to feed the family, quite (laughs) honestly. That's fair. That's fair. (laughs) Um, And uh, because there's sort of this idealistic, you know, if you see the TV shows, there's always, you know, there's the architect, uh, Brady Bunch. You know, dad was an architect. Yep. And there's this idea that it's a certain, you know, way of life, but there's always this balance of trying to convince people of good design and dealing with budgets and working with contractors and a lot of decision makers. As I've progressed, I think this is year 38 now. Wow. You know, I could be more selective on the projects and be a little more outspoken. Not mm-hmm. not that I'm trying to push things on people, but nobody goes to the doctor and he says, I need to operate on your right arm. And they say, well... 
I'd really rather you operate on my left leg. I mean, that's kind of what I'm feeling right now. I've seen some YouTube videos and you know, I'd like you to do that. But with HGTV and all the shows out there, everybody has design ideas. Yep. And and you can be very creative and have no background in architecture and interior design. And I love working with those people. Mm-hmm. But it's become a little more difficult trying to get good design ideas across. So we've started doing our own projects now. Okay. And that's been, to answer your question, I'm getting around to it, I guess, now that, <laughs> that uh, it's probably what's kept me engaged. Okay. I bought a building in, in Lancaster City. It's 14,000 square feet. It's taken seven years to renovate it. We're just weeks away from being done. Wow. Uh, bought another apartment building, renovated it, and that's... Uh, what really gets me excited. Yeah. So when we met a couple weeks ago, you told me a story about how a few years ago you started praying a very specific prayer. Can you tell that story if you're willing and how the building that you bought has played into the answer to that prayer? Sure. I think, well, there again, I think everybody's like me, so maybe they aren't, but I, <laughs> I think most people want to have significance in life and want to have an impact. And I had one time, my dad said, if you want to be serious, you know, in your Christianity, well, then just go to seminary. You know, that's what you need to do. And mm. But that's not what I did. I mean, I felt like this is my job as an architect. And yet there was a time, oh, eight or nine years ago, I would have a conversation with God and say, you know, I want to do something else. Like maybe I'll be full-time missionary. Like, what do you want me to do, God? Mm-hmm. And he didn't speak audibly, but the answer I got back was you just need to do what you're doing. And I said, well, it's not very fulfilling. And he said, you need to just do what you're doing. Well, you know, I'm impatient, God, and I, I want to see something more significant in life. Well, you need to keep doing what you're doing. Mm. And I would say, if we had a couch or we had old luggage or clothes or anything to donate. Yeah, we could take it to goodwill, but honestly, and I'm embarrassed, I didn't know anybody that needed anything. Mm. You know, I live in Manheim Township, you know, a lot of affluent people. I don't know anybody in need, and that bothered me too. Mm. And so as I kept praying, I had wanted to own my own building for quite some time, and it's not that easy to find a building Right. And actually, uh, it's a funny story. Realtor sent me this building. And I'm like, God, oh, it's ugly. <laughs> uh, I don't, I'm not interested. And then a client of mine bought it. Oh, no. And the realtor <laughs> said, oh, Larry bought this building. I said, oh, and he's just going to resell it, you know, tack up a lot of money. Sure. And then resell it. And I said, oh, Larry, you're going to sell your building? He said, yeah, you want to come see it? I said, sure. So I went to see it and I realized it looked like an ugly building on the outside, but underneath all the things people had done to uglify it, I don't know if that's a word, but it was an old tobacco warehouse built in the 1900s. And I wow. just thought, this will be so much fun. Uh-huh. And I got to the second floor and it had all burned out because there was a fire in 1954. Really? And there were all these black charred brick walls and all these charred columns. And one of the benefits that... I have as an architect, after 30-something years, I can just squint my eyes and see the beauty that's going to, you know, transpire. Right. Now, my friends, on the other hand, were a little taken aback. Yeah. Like, what is Joel doing? I'm like, this is going to be great. So, ended up buying the building for my friend Larry and uh, started renovating. Wow. So, then what happened as you started renovating the building? Well, funny story, a friend of mine that's... uh 
graduated from Clemson with me, 4.0. He's a CFO, very brilliant guy. He yeah. said to me, so did you do revenue projections and forecasting and put together spreadsheets and analyze da 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 and, and then decide to buy the building? I said, well, Dave, it was sort of like that. What I said to myself is, this will be fun. And then I bought the building. <laughs> <laughs> I, knew, I knew I needed a place for Sims Architects. And I knew, you know, we could pay rent and cover it. And then I realized I'd seen co-working spaces mm. and I thought, this is great. A co-working space has a nice lobby. It has offices. It has restrooms. It has a break area. We're not a big firm. So we can like have all these things, all these niceties and then rent out offices to other people. Yeah. So that's sort of what we started doing. And unfortunately, my experience was when I was hiring people to do construction, I realized that a lot of them that I had hired were on drugs. Hmm. And it was not that good of an experience. I'm not talking about calling a company from the yellow pages. I'm talking about at that point, I was advertising on Craigslist. And some people might say, well, that's what you get advertising on <laughs> Craigslist. But today it would be Facebook Marketplace or, sure. you know whatever, friend of a friend. Right. But at least I've started discovering people in need. That's and, true. And uh, people that had problems and issues. That we all do, but mm -hmm. I mean, some are more evident. And I think going back to the way I was raised, traveling, you know, moving a lot and really feeling a lot of times lonely when I was in a new place. And, and it's kind of made me more understanding of people that might be downtrodden. Mm. I think I'm a little more sensitive to that. Yeah. And then part of my experience when I became a Christian at 13 years of age is this idea that you're a Christian and everything is great. Mm. And I at least grew up in environments where the most part, people aren't talking about their problems. Right. Everything is great. You're a Christian. So I've kind of rebelled against that. It's like, why are we not honest as Christians about difficulties? Why are non-Christians, you know, more open about problems and all the Christians don't have any problems, at least the circles I was in. Hmm. So now fast forward, I have this building, started to hire people and, and I'm like, oh, maybe God is working here. I'm, I'm running into some people that are in need. I, I see a different world. It's seven minutes from where I live, but it's a different world. Yeah. Uh, Lancaster City is quite a bit different than Mannheim Township or other suburban areas. So one day, uh, well, let me back. Can I tell you this one story? So yeah, when the kids sure. were when the kids were younger, I used to I say a lot of odd things to our kids that they remember. Most they'd be embarrassed if I repeated them. <laughs> <laughs> but when they were younger in driving age, I would say to them as they were heading out at night, drive safely, be careful, and then I would throw in one day I threw in look out for the downtrodden. Mm. And they said, what does that mean, Dad? I said, well, look out for other people. It's, it's a biblical idea. Right. You know, we're supposed to look out for other people. Right. And there are different ways to say it, but I just, that had come to my mind, look out for the downtrodden. So when I bought the building, it's actually, excuse me, I formed an entity, LOFTD, L-O-F-T-D, L-L-C, and it actually stands for look out for the downtrodden. Wow. Which is amazing to me to see how God has worked through that because if you look back over the whole story, it seems like it was scripted. I, I couldn't have figured all this out. Right. So obviously God was working. I believe God has a sense of humor. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that happened is a guy was walking down the street one day and he said, oh, are they hiring? I don't always tell people I'm the owner. I was outside. I sure. wear jeans. Usually I'm doing some type of construction and then switch to architecture. 
I said, what are you looking for? He said, oh, I'm a mason. I do repointing. He said, I just got to Lancaster. I said, oh, what brought you to Lancaster? He said, I just got out of rehab. I said, oh. He had spent two days walking every construction site in Lancaster looking for a job, and he was literally two blocks from his recovery house. Unbelievable. And I said, do you know how to do repointing? And that's, you know, where you take out the mortar between bricks and you put in new mortar. A lot of times, old buildings, it falls out. And he said, oh, yeah, I, you know, I did that in Philadelphia for 10 years. Well, what I've learned over time is some people don't always tell the truth. So sure. I'm a very trusting individual, but I thought, well, yeah, maybe, I don't know. Yeah. But I remember it like it was yesterday as well. It was on a Friday. I said, nice to meet you, Sam. I'll make up a name, protect people. I said, <laughs> sure, nice sure. to meet you, Sam. I look forward to you, know, you starting work on Monday. And then I went home that weekend, and I'm a very optimistic risk taker. I love uh -huh. taking risks. It makes life exciting. And I thought to myself, did I just hire somebody walking down the sidewalk? <laughs> <laughs> did I really just do that? And I thought, well, I can always cut him loose. You sure. know? And he repointed. He worked every day. Guy came up to me in the back parking lot and said, I've never seen anybody work harder than that guy. I hope you're paying him well. So well, I'm not paying him that well, but he is working hard. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I said, you know, you should start your own business. He's like, well, I don't know how to start my own business. I said, it's not that hard. You know, get an LLC, get insurance. If it doesn't work out, go work for somebody. He's now been in business over five years. Wow. And I, and I, the, the greatest part of all that is I consider him a friend. Yeah. You know, it's not just a guy that was repointing. We've become friends. If I ever need anything, my wife knows this. If I ever need anything, I can call him. He'll be there. He knows if he needs something. Actually, his truck just broke down and he called me and I called him back. I said, do you need me to come and get you and loan you my truck for the day? He said, yeah. And then I looked at the text and he's like, hey, can you come and get me and can I borrow your truck for the day? <laughs> <laughs> sure. But he would loan me his truck, yep. you know, just the way it is. So yep. from meeting him, I realized that there are a lot of recovery houses and a lot of very talented people live in recovery houses. Yeah. So, and just guys that can work, move furniture, sort of do general stuff. Yeah. So I made a connection and I would say, Hey, do you have anybody else, you know, at your house that needs work? And, mm -hmm. and then I would meet somebody else at another recovery house. And then I'd say, Hey, do you have anybody that needs work? And I would say in the last seven years, Oh, I wish I would have written everybody's name down, but it's probably been in excess of 40, maybe even 50 people I've hired. You know, some for a day, some for weeks, some for longer. And that's been uh, a great, great joy to me. It's just, I've benefited from having them work, but it's also just been, you know, being around people that, you know, need the love of Christ. I don't always share the gospel. If they listen to this podcast, they might be like, oh, you're a Christian, Joel. <laughs> <laughs> I think it just comes out of us. You know, if right. we are a Christian, it's the fruit that we bear. And so... Yeah, uh, I look back now and say, wow, God, that prayer that I prayed about, you know, wanting to have an impact, this has been it. And, yes. and what he said, and I feel like in very plain terms is, Joel, there's a lot of people that share the gospel. There's a lot of people that minister in a lot of ways, but I need you to hire people. People need money. Like mm -hmm. that's one of the things that they need when they're in a recovery house. Some of these guys, they can't work 40 hours a week. You know, they're dealing with a lot of issues. Yeah. They just, they might need, you know, a little money here and there. Sometimes their family's supporting them to a certain degree, mm -hmm. but they need to be in a good environment. And what I didn't tell you when I bought the building, I did extensive research on 
co-working places, which to me was like 20 minutes. And every co-working space I found was, you know, beer on tap, uh, wine tasting, happy hour, beer in the fridge. And as I mentioned, I've always sort of been different. Mm -hmm. And I drink alcohol. Mm -hmm. But I thought, why do we have such an emphasis on this? So when I created uh, Lancaster Coworking, there's no alcohol permitted. Mm -hmm. And so now all these guys are coming into an environment where we're not even having happy hour. Right. Uh, And it's just amazing. And probably one of the most exciting stories to me, but also in a way profoundly sad is a woman rented an office from me years ago. And she said, I really appreciate that you have a no alcohol policy. And if you think about it, most people, they don't necessarily have that policy where they work, but they're not drinking at their office. Sure. So it was a little bewildering to me. And I just said, oh, well, thanks. And she said, yeah. She said, um, I had a husband that got intoxicated and uh, beat me, left me for dead. Oh, my gosh. And uh, realized that she was on all these domestic violence situations. So just taking a stand and saying, this is a safe place. We're not allowing alcohol, which is really funny from a guy that drinks alcohol. Sure. But it's also hysterical because I was reaching out to one guy that had gotten into trouble. It was in the paper, and uh, he'd gotten arrested. And I said, hey, I'm here for you, praying for you. I'm not judging you. And uh, he started going to AA meetings. And then we got together. And he said, oh, thanks, Joel, for reaching out. He said, I knew I could rely on you because I know you're in recovery. <laughs> and I just <laughs> laughed. I thought, oh, my goodness. I wonder how many people think I'm recover- in recovery. I'm not. But it's like, what does it really matter? Right, exactly. You know, it's like, what, you know, are we concerned about our image? Or are we just concerned with, you know, doing what God wants us to do? Yeah. So I don't get too concerned about that. But probably a lot of people think, well, if you're working with people in recovery, you're, you're probably in recovery. Otherwise, why would you do it? Well, I do it because it's what I believe God wants me to do. And it's a joy, but yeah. it's also at times um, can be very discouraging I had a guy that worked for me. We were working six and a half days a week to get a floor ready for a tenant. And I would say to the guys, come to church, and I'll buy you lunch. Mm-hmm. And there was a new guy. We give, Most people I give nicknames to. So his name was Carl Jr. <laughs> uh, because he started the same time as Jimmy John. So, okay, so we perfect. Had the, had, the, had the restaurant theme going. So I invited him to church, low pressure. Hey, you want to come to Calvary Church? You know, we're going to do church and then lunch and then we'll finish up on the renovations and okay well you know I'll think about it whatever and uh that day this is a few years back now that day a few of the guys came to church and I know Nick came and after church we were in the lobby of the building and Nick came up to me and said hey I didn't want to tell you at church uh Carl didn't come to church today because last night he died of an overdose and I had worked with him until 6 o'clock on Saturday night. And by 8 o'clock Saturday night, he had overdosed in the Isaacs on Queen Street. Oh, my gosh. So it's, um, you know, there's a lot of heartache in the world. There's yep. a lot of people that deal with pain. And I've learned a lot. Like, I don't think I could have. I remember a guy actually at Calvary Church said one time he was talking about, somebody doing drugs. And I said, uh, something. And he said, you don't know anybody that does drugs. I'm like, not really, you know, not like, I mean, an addict. I mean, not like those, you know, 
despicable people. I'm just kidding. But, you know, it's like we view people differently. <laughs> yep. And it's like people don't realize that, you know, an addiction is a disease. These people don't want to be this way. Right. I mean, a few. Yeah, probably a few like anything. Mm -hmm. But they really want to change. But it's, it's hard. It's got a grip on them. Mm -hmm. And I've had the joy of seeing most everybody in their sober state as a wonderful person. I've never seen them. And I can't even imagine like what what they would be like. Now, yeah. I did get a call one time. A guy had gone on a three-day drinking binge, and oh he said, I gosh. need you. And I went over to his apartment, and I didn't realize how much alcohol somebody could consume in three days. Mm. And um, But that's the only person, and he couldn't find his car, seat, car keys, and they were on his lap. Um, wow. But everybody else I've just seen as some of the most amazing, wonderful people, and I'm just so thankful to see how God, you know, answered my prayer. I got a text a few weeks ago, guy texted, he said, Hey, Joel, just wanted to let you know what a great friend you've been today. I celebrate three years of being sober. Wow. And I'm like, Oh my goodness, we got to go out to dinner and celebrate. Yeah. So, that's we went incredible. Out, so we went out to dinner, celebrate. And then he's like feeling bad. Cause he's like, well, actually I've gotten five years sober before. He said, so three years doesn't seem that significant. I said, oh, it is. I said, and let's all mark our calendars now. In three more years, we're going to celebrate six years sober. Yep. So let's just get it on the calendar now. So it's been a lot of fun. It's been a lot of joy. I consider a lot of the guys I've hired, you know, as, as friends, great guys. It's been one of the most rewarding things that I've done as a career. And I think that we'll continue, hopefully, Lord willing, to maybe buy more buildings and renovate them and continue to work with some of the guys, the last group of guys I met, three of them went on on their own, starting their own businesses. So that's been exciting. That's so cool. Have you seen God work in any of their lives? Yeah. One of the, one of the guys uh, became a Christian in prison. Really? And that was very exciting. He's on fire for the Lord. And, you know, a lot of people have misconceptions. I mean, I've Probably in the 40 or 50 people I've worked with, I've had one guy that talked to me about, you know, having a situation where he had a handgun in a motel. But believe it or not, most drug addicts, people in recovery are not violent people. Mm -hmm. Most of them don't steal. You know, there's misconceptions. Not that you don't, but I mean, especially when they're sober. Yeah. And so he always, when I, when I say, oh, this is so-and-so, you know, he became a Christian jail. He's like, for a probation violation, Joel, make it clear. <laughs> <laughs> and I want to say, for manslaughter. No, it's just, you know, it's like the, the system is really odd in that if you know anybody that's on probation, you make one slip up yeah. and it's just really, really hard. And yeah. I'm, not, I'm not trying to critique the legal system. I'm just sure. saying, I drive these guys to the probation officer. You know, if they slip up one time... If they're on the right track and the probation officer knows them, you know, they'll be a little understanding, but it's a tough road yeah. for a lot of these guys. They have really deep holes, yeah. you know, to, to dig out of, unfortunately. Yeah. What have you learned about God through this process of giving people a second chance? Well, I think it goes back to that statement I made with the kids about look out for the downtrodden. And I say to people, because that's not a downtrodden is not a word that's used that often. And my view is we're all downtrodden at different mm -hmm. points. Maybe I'm not downtrodden today, sure, but maybe tomorrow. And there's difficulties that we all face and we're all, we're all the same. And mm -hmm. 
It just goes back to my early years as a Christian, this idea that Christians don't have any problems. It's not. It's just that we don't talk about them. Sure. You know, we're like, oh, praise God, I'm not a drug addict like that person, mm. you know, and it's, we're, we're all the same. We all have sin. We all fall short of the glory of God. I need compassion, forgiveness. You know, when I yell at somebody or I'm frustrated, they need compassion and forgiveness, you know, when they do something. And just all broken people, some of us have been healed by Christ, you know, and and redeemed, and then others are on the way to. Right. And uh, I guess one of the things that I've learned. Have you been encouraged by the stories you've heard on Pursuing Life? God is doing a great work in the lives of his people, and we know that there are still so many stories to be told. Many of the stories you've heard on Pursuing Life have been told as the result of someone else's encouragement. At times, it's easy to recognize God at work in our stories, but other times, we need others to remind us of the good work they see God doing in our lives. So whether you have a story of your own or a story you want to encourage someone else to share, we invite you to submit those stories at calvarychurch.org slash share a story so that we can continue to celebrate the work that he is doing in, around, and through us. As we do that, we not only give God glory, but encourage each other as we pursue life in Christ together. We've been talking a lot about discipleship as a church. What can you say about discipleship through this whole experience? Oh, that's a, that's a good question. I think if you uh, do the math, uh, 62 minus 13, whatever that is, in the 40, <laughs> 49 years that I've been a Christian, I've probably defined discipleship a lot of different ways over the years, from sitting down, reading scripture, you know, going through a book, you know, having a very diligent plan. And then now it's just and part of it's my personality too. Sure. You know, I'm more of a big picture guy. So part of that is just praying and seeing what God wants me to do. Mm. And if it's if it's a loan a tool to a guy, I, that's under discipleship. I, mm. You know, probably not a lot of people would put it under there, but it's like that's what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. Somebody needs to borrow my truck. It's all under the heading of love. If we love people, whether they're a Christian or not, I mean, discipleship I view more as somebody's a Christian, growing, but the others under seed planting. I mean, yeah. I, I have a guy now, he loves to ask me questions mm. uh, about business. Okay. And some of these guys, I feel so bad for them. I mean, they have really awful family situations. Mm. I mean, it's just like, wow. Yeah. You know, I had one guy say to me, he's like, yeah. I said, How, tell me about your family. Tell me about your dad. He's like, oh, one time I had drugs and my dad came over. He said, let me take those from you so you don't use them, which seems like a nice thing. But he's like, my dad just wanted to take the drugs so he could use them, you know? And I thought, how can that kid get ahead if that's his dad? Right. You know, as opposed to somebody saying, hey, can I pray for you? Mm-hmm. We had a great joy because one of the guys couldn't go home at Christmas a couple of years ago. I don't know if you heard there was a pandemic, so it kind of changed things. Yep, I think I heard about that. Yeah. So I asked my wife, I said, hey, can we invite him over for Christmas Eve? So we invited him over for Christmas Eve. Wow. And- it was a joy to us. Like, you know, hopefully he was blessed by it, right. but it was like, this is what we're doing. And one of the guys, this only happened once in seven <laughs> years where I said the very first guy that I made up a name for, the Mason, uh, I was talking to Sam and 
he was in a recovery house that was for people that had been sober over a year. So less supervised, but they couldn't keep the house full. Okay. There's a lot of money in rehab. There's mm-hmm. a, I mean, and some people are in it to help and other people are in it to make a lot of money. Mm-hmm. So they were closing the house. And I said, well, what are you going to do, Sam? He said, well, I'm going to go stay in a hotel till I find a place. I'm like, are you serious? So I went home and said to my wife, you know, Sam's going to stay in a hotel. I said, we got an extra room. And she said, well, he can just stay here. Mm. So he lived with us for a few months and then he found a place and it was great. I mean, it was like, you know, wonderful. He was quiet. I mean, we didn't eat meals together, you know, we didn't play ping pong as much as I thought we would have, you know, but <laughs> sure. we, we provided a place for him to stay and it was, it was great. Yeah. You know, it didn't cost us anything. Uh, we, we charged him. I mean, I don't, I don't believe he just, uh, but we made it very affordable that he would have probably stayed there 10 years if we let him. But we just said, oh, kids are coming on for Christmas. And he's like, well, I'll move out now. I said, well, you don't have to move out. Just move out for Christmas and then come back. He said, I'll find a place. So mm. it all worked out. Wow. It sounds like what you're saying is discipleship is a lot about opening your heart and opening your home. It is. just I just think about that prayer of God. I, I want to be used by you. Yeah. And uh, and then I just crack up, you know, thinking about things like I'm I'm a trash picker. I mean, when I go to the dumpster, I think everybody should have this mentality. When you throw something in the dumpster, look and see if there's anything you can pull out. <laughs> so <laughs> I will, my neighbors will put like a, somebody put a suitcase out. I'm like, this is a nice suitcase. So I take it to the, the office and it's there. I remember one of the guys, Nick, he said, uh, he's like, oh, and they know, like you can ask to buy anything that I have because mm-hmm. pretty much everything's for sale. He's like, hey, can I buy that suitcase from you? So I'm going home this weekend. I don't have a suitcase. And I just lit up thinking, is it interesting, God? I had this conversation with you. I don't know anybody in need. Nobody needs anything. People in my neighborhood throw out great stuff. Yep. And I said, yeah, I said, uh, I got a philosophy. I got to make double on it. So I got it for $0, Nick. So give me two times zero. Do the math. <laughs> I said, here, it's yours. And, wow. and it was just, it was a great joy. It's like, it didn't cost me anything, right. but he had something to put his clothes in rather than put them in a plastic bag, which if you've seen guys carry their clothes in a trash bag before, it's it's not the best, aesthetically speaking, as an architect. Sure. So, yes. yes. Yes, exactly. Well, the other thing that I recognize in your story is this idea of good stewardship. And so can you touch on that topic a little bit and what it means to steward your gifts and your resources well? Oh, sure. I don't know that I'm the best example, but I I think I learned this from somebody way back when. But, you know, don't have anything you're not willing to share. Mm. I have a 99 Ford Ranger my dad gave to me. And when my Mason friend Sam was working for me, he's like, I need to get a truck. I said, why do you need a truck? You don't you don't need it that much. He's like, well, I got to get a tox lock. It's a thing you breathe into so you can start up the vehicle if you've been issue with um, drugs or alcohol. Sure. I said, well, just get it installed in my truck. Mm. Pay for it. It's like $75 a month. Pay for it, get it put in my truck, and then you can use it. And I think to me, that's that's being a steward. It's like, and to me, that it's not like I'm saying, oh, look at me, because that's just normal to me. In the same way it was normal to grow up with everybody's dad in the army. Right. It's normal for me to share stuff. I actually... Most of the comments I got from my family was, hey, we're giving you this. Don't give it to somebody else. <laughs> you know, so I, that's sort of I'm a giving person by nature. Yeah. And then it was funny because now I'm driving this. This was probably five years ago. I'm driving my truck blowing into this uh, tox lock and it's 
you have to not just do it to start it. You have to do it periodically because right. otherwise you could get a 10 year old to help you start the truck and right. then off you go. Right. And it's not that easy. It's like two short breasts, three long, <laughs> one short. And I'm like, oh, but it was like, well, and then he eventually, you know, bought a truck. So yeah. I just think if I have something that I don't want to share with me, that's sort of a, like what, what's going on with this? You mm-hmm. know, is it really, should I have it if I'm not willing to share it or let others use it? And I don't think we always just give, st- sometimes I'll say to the guys, yeah, you can, you can rent a tool from me yeah. rather than just, you know, me loan it to you. It depends on the situation. Sure. Uh, but I think, yes, what we have, you know, it's often been said, you know, it's, it's God's, you know, it's not ours. And so how do we use it? And I've seen, I'm not trying to say prosperity doctor or anything like that, but God blesses us. You yeah. know, I mean, we, if you're in America, you're one of the richest people in the world. Just that's it. You mm-hmm. know, it just doesn't matter how much money you make. So right. just take that one fact that we're blessed in America with a lot of things other people don't have and the resources that we have. And you look at how much family members give to you, you know, you get hand-me-down clothes from your sister or your parents give you their old set of dishes or an aunt sells you a a car at a discount. And you look at some of these people in recovery, they they have none of that. Like they have zero benefit coming from other family members. You know, they might have a family member that steals from them, Mm. you know, which then puts them in a deficit. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we're as Christians understanding, you know, that we love each other and support each other is a great thing. And then we just use what we have for Christ. However, and it's really, I found it's not that hard if we just say, God, you know, I'm willing, but I don't think one of the, I think the misconceptions I had is, you know, we talk about Jesus had three years on this earth as his ministry, but he lived here much longer. Right. You know, our life when our four kids were all playing sports, I taught here at Calvary fifth and sixth grade for about 10 years. There's seasons to life. Yeah. Now we're empty nesters. We have more time than we did. I don't think I would have been doing this back when our kids were six through 12 or whatever. Right. So I think don't stress about it. Pray about it. God doesn't need you. He wants you, but he doesn't need you. He can accomplish everything without you. Mm -hmm. But if you're open to what he wants you to do, then he'll provide it. And you may have, you may live seven years on this earth and you may look back and say those five years were the most productive that I ever had, but that's okay. Mm-hmm. Not every year is going to be the same as far as what we're able to do or even what God wants us to do, depending. So I look forward to, I'll be 62 in December. I look forward to seeing sort of what the next few years are before, you know, he calls it, calls me home. Maybe it's two, maybe it's 20, maybe it's 30. Yeah. So we'll see. Yeah. Going all the way back to the beginning of your story, when you said that you moved around a lot yeah. as a kid, how has that impacted you today and your perspective on life? Oh, it's it's huge because I'll give you a quick example. We were working at um, the I forget what it's called the uh, <laughs> the, the welcome center. Oh, and the, the uh, welcome gathering. Yeah, welcome yes. gathering. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yep. Thank you. It's good to have a sharp young mind. <laughs> <laughs> uh, welcome gathering, and there was somebody that was new here, and we were talking to them, and I can tend to be a little chatty at times. And then afterwards, that was back when we, it was pre-pandemic, so we had the lunches. Yep. So we went over and I saw the person by themselves. I said, oh, let's go, you know, eat with them. And I always question my wife. She's like, you you think that's a little too much? I said, honey, I've moved around my whole life. What happens is people have this idea, somebody's new to the area, 
you have 55 family members that have all grown up here. Yep. You talk to them for an hour. Now you go to a family reunion, a birthday party, a soccer game. You don't realize they don't have anything else to do. Right. They're waiting for the next person to call or the next person to talk to them. Mm-hmm. You know, invite them over to lunch. Do something. They're not, and they can always say no. Sure. But they're, I guarantee you, they're not feeling like overwhelmed with activity. And so... A lot of times I, you know, look at people and just have a different perspective. Mm. I'm not saying I can look and see the loneliness, but, you know, you, you can guarantee there's a lot of loneliness yeah. in, in the world. And there's a lot of people that need help or friends. So I just, there's a kid walking in front of my building oh, probably six months ago and he was panning. I said, how's it going? Oh, I'm tired. I have football practice. I got to walk home and I'm out of breath. I said, oh, do you want a water? Oh, that'd be great. You gave him a bottled water. Didn't take a lot, but it's like just he can always say no, thank you. I don't want water. Right? You no, know? I don't take water from a stranger. You right. know, it's like whatever. But it, it doesn't hurt to offer. There's a lot. There's a lot of needs out there, and mm-hmm. if we just do that as Christians, just say, hey, I'll take a risk. I mean, I uh, weird situation here again. I don't want this to seem self-serving. I was at a store, Habitat Restore, buying some stuff, and I love a good deal. Uh-huh. And there was a uh, there was a brand new drop cloth at a great deal, like a lot less than the store. Yeah. And so I got it because it was a good deal. Yeah. And I'm in line, and there's this guy behind me, and he looked like he'd had a hard life. Mm. He's like, oh, are there any more of those drop cloths? And I said, no. Nope. I mean, I got it as it was coming out of the, before it was even on the shelf. Right. I, mean, I snatched that baby up. I mean, I was quick. Mm-hmm. I, it was winning, you know, yep. with a capital W. Yeah. You knew when to find the deal. Yeah. I got, <laughs> I got it. You know, I got the drop cloth, the only one in the store, brand new in the packaging. And this guy starts telling me about, he's been married three times. Mm-hmm. I said, Oh, that's gotta be tough. I said, my wife is a marriage and family therapist. And he said, yeah. And my last wife, we divorced, but she has cancer, but I let her live with me. Mm. And I can just see the pain in his face. And it's like, I, I mean, I can't, you know, help everybody. I, you know, I don't know what to do. Yeah. But I got out of the store and he's walking behind me. I said, hey, I got something for you. I said, I got you a drop cloth. And I gave it to him. <laughs> and, and he was shocked. Yeah. And, you know, then he starts telling me more about his life. You know, he's going to sell this building that he has and he's going to move up to Bedford and that. And I... I don't know if most of it's true. It doesn't sure. really matter. Sure. You know, it's just like, and he could have said, no, no, thank you. I've learned sometimes I think I know what God wants me to do, but it's if it's under the heading of love, one of the nicest things that happened when I got laid off 19 years ago as a woman from church, and we weren't poor and destitute. I mean, we had, we had money, mm-hmm. but a woman from our ABF gave my wife, I think, a $20 gift card. Wow. And it's, and it's not like that catapulted us into a new tax bracket. Sure. But it meant so much to my wife. It's like somebody saying here, you know, I realize that you're, you know, in a different place. Yep. And, and it wasn't the money. It was just the thoughtfulness. So no matter what we do, if we do it in love, even if the people don't react how we think they should act, it's like it, uh, it all counts for, you know, in a sense, spreading the gospel, spreading the love of Christ. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's a way that we can show people that they're seen. Yeah, I, I remember when Johnny Miller, I was in a Bible study with Johnny Miller, and we were we had to pick different topics, and I think mine was on money. And he said, what we need to do is profane money. And by that, he said, treat it as commonplace, like give it no significance. Mm. 
And to me, when I handed the guy the drop cloth, uh, brand new in the package, I got a great deal on. I just thought, you know, it's it's not it's not. I'm not trying to get credit. I'm just trying to profane money. And it's common, you know, if this can lift somebody's spirit. Yeah. And you can say, well, did you, did you give him a track? Did you share the gospel with him? Like decades ago, that would have been what I would have had to do, you know, to get full points for discipleship, right. you know, under my understanding. And now my belief, and somebody might correct me if I'm wrong, but <laughs> it's like, I don't think there's many non-Christians given drop cloths out there. You know, it's yeah. like, it's like, if we just show the love, people know, you'd be surprised how many times people have said, I had a guy in college, it's like, he was drunk and we were all like had Bible studies, whole group of us. And one day he was drunk and he's like, you know, I know you guys, I know you're Christians. I know the way that you live. And I was like, wow, we've never really talked about that, but he sees. And so non-Christians see the way we are. Yep. They see how we respond to our children. They see how we live. I have a good friend that's a contractor and he worked on my neighbor's house years ago. And she came over and she marveled. Not only does he do good work, but here's what she said. She's like, oh my goodness, there was a whole group of contractors. I didn't hear one bad word. Wow. And I'm like, well, he doesn't say bad words. Like, I didn't think anything about it. She was like, amazed. You're like, who does siding and window replacement is not. Now in Lancaster County, it's a little more common. Sure. But she was amazed and he didn't have to give her a track. It's like, I said, oh, I go to church with him. He's a, you know, great Christian guy. He's very honest and a hard worker. And so... Yeah, just live your life as as Christ would have you, and it'll be exciting to see. Yeah, for sure. Well, I have one final question for you. How has your work impacted your pursuit of life in Christ? Yeah, I think I've seen more, and people talk this, well, you can be a missionary, you know, but you can also be a missionary as, you know, person that's working. And I think in recent years, I've just seen that is so true, like, I mean, we're empty nesters. We raised four kids. It's not like, you know, I'm, I'm striving to get ahead in life so much, but I see things differently. Like I told you before, I can squint in a building and see how beautiful it's going to be just because I've been an architect for so long. Yeah. It's gotten a little easier now being a Christian for like almost 50 years to just see what God's doing. Like we had last irrelevant story I'll share with you is that I have a three-unit apartment I renovated and somebody was coming to see it. Okay. First showing. And she got lost. She was on the street in Ephrata that had the same name. Oh, like, no. Well, this, this is not going well. Don't plan to rent to this person. They can't <laughs> even find the location. <laughs> that was that was my uh, not in the spirit self thinking, right? Sure. <laughs> so she shows up. She has a Southern accent. I'm bilingual. I speak Southern and Northern because all my family's from the South. There you go. And I said, oh, where are you from? She said, oh, I'm from Alabama. Wow. And I said, oh, what brought you up here? And she said, well, I probably shouldn't say this, but I was involved in human trafficking. And uh, they sent me up here to a home that helps women. And I just started tearing up. Hmm. I said, oh, I said, we're at North Star. And she said, how do you know North Star? I said, we're designing their building for them. I said, I've been involved with them for years as an architect. And uh, ended up running to her. And it was just like, yeah, I mean, I'm going to check references. I don't think we need to always just say, oh, go in faith. I think the guy has a gun. I'll let him in my car and give him a ride. I mean, I think that, you know, God's called us to use our brains. Sure. But I checked 
the folks. They said, yeah, you know, I think it'd be good. And so rented to her and mm-hmm. she paid on time and then had a family situation where she needed to move. Don't think she's in a great situation right now in Alabama, but that's, you know, we just do what we can do. And I'm like, this is, I'm going to be salt and light. And I don't think a lot of other people would have rented to her because if they would have done reference checks and all that, it's like, no, you know, God's always taking care of me, Yeah, you know, and it's like, I'm not too worried about that. And so that was a great joy. I mean, the bottom line, it was a great joy and privilege to be able to rent to her, to be, you know, part of helping somebody in their life. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, it's better to give than to receive. And it's true when, when we're serving God, not that it's not hard at times, but it, it's a great joy. It's like, wow, I get, I get to do this. You know, this is fun. I mean, I love helping people. Yeah. And so when stuff like that happens, you know, the guy that I told you that was in jail became a Christian. He's an electrician. He's like helping me renovate. He's like, can I rent one of these apartments from you? Wow. I'm like, sure. I mean, I rented it to him before we had even had it done. Yeah. Does he pay his rent on time every month? Absolutely. You know, do I consider him a friend? Yes. So it's like, wow, like, it's just incredible to see God working. But I would say that there's been a lot of years that I just went to work, came home, took the kids to soccer practice, crawled into bed exhausted, got up early, tried to pay the bills. It was a different scenario. And you grind through and you say, well, you know, am I seeing God here? Am I... You know, you just keep going. You know, there's times that are more bountiful and more fruitful. And there's times that we see stuff and other times that God doesn't allow us to see it. Absolutely. But we're still having an impact. Yeah. Well, Joel, I just, I'm grateful for your willingness to share what God has been doing in your life and through your work. And I just wonder how many people are out there who are in a scenario where they're praying that same prayer that you prayed, saying, God, I want you to use me. And I feel like you're not using me to my fullest right now. And to hear how he has used you. And like you said, he has a sense of humor. And so many things have come back around that you could not have even predicted. So I hope that that is an encouragement to all of those people who are out there praying that same prayer. And as you said that you're excited for the next however many years there are to come, we are excited for you. So thank you for allowing us to have a glimpse into that part of your life. Well, thanks for having me. When Joel started praying for God to use him to have more of an impact on the world around him, he never could have imagined how that prayer would be answered. He never could have predicted that he'd name his LLC after a phrase he'd been saying to his kids for years, or that the people who would help him bring his projects to life would be the very kinds of people that he'd encouraged his kids to look out for. And he certainly could have never imagined that this would be how God would answer his prayer and challenge him to impact the world around him. It makes me think of Ephesians 3.20, where Paul begins his benediction by saying that God is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. If you're in a season where you're asking God what he might be calling you to, I hope that you were encouraged by Joel's story not to lose heart because God is doing a great work, even when we can't quite see what he's up to. As always, don't forget to subscribe to the Pursuing Life podcast so you don't miss any upcoming episodes. Thanks so much for tuning in and have a great week.